The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. I'm going to go look for the clippers. And I found them within like a minute, which that never happens in my household. And I thought maybe it was a sign. And so I did it. I shaved. You can't even tell, right? But I shaved the back of my head. I'm going to turn around. It looks like a crazy person did it. Uh, can you see? Because I, didn't, I can't see back there. Um, it looks pretty bad and it's pretty uneven. And I woke my husband up and I said, uh, I, you know, I did something uh, I did something probably stupid. And of course, you know, this is how you tell if you're married to the right person. He's like, oh, honey, what? And I said, I shaved the back of my head, shot straight up in bed. And he was like, you did what? And I said, I did. I shaved the back of my head. So then uh, my son came down this morning just as we were getting ready. And I showed him, come here, come here. All right, so the physician's <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> Come down here and say hi to everybody. Hi. So this is my son. And I said, honey, look what I did to the back of my head. And of course, look, from the front, you really can't tell, which is the brilliance of this. And he looked at the back of my head. And what did you say? Um, I think I need a physician. <laughs> yeah. He said, I'm going to need lots of physicians help. Uh, I think he said psychiatric help. That he was psychiatric help. That's what I did say. <laughs> That's yeah. what you said. Psychiatric help. So bend down and say hi to everybody. And then we got to get on with the uh, show. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, I'll leave you you, you've got class. Go be because yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. he's got online class. So anyway, uh, there it is. And I'll tell you something. I had cut my hair the other day just a little bit because, mm. you know, my hair gets a little crazy. And now I've shaved the back of the head. And I think I'm going to shave more of it off, maybe a little bit every day. So that by the time we get out of uh, being sequestered, I'll have one little curl at the front. Won't that be funny? Uh, all right. Well, all kidding aside, we've got a big show for you here, and I'm really excited to be here. We are coming to you live, as I said, from my house, uh, because we live in interesting times, my friend, and we're going to keep on doing this as long as I have an internet connection uh, or can drive to an internet. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it from my car one day. That would be hilarious. Uh, but we're going to be here because we're going to get through this together. You know, I always say, uh, if we just all hold hands, yes, we're we're doing it virtually. We always did it virtually, right? Virtually hold hands and we get through this together. Si se puede, we can do this. We're going to keep on giving you great, great information here. And uh, I, at the start of the show, I put up the graphic because I'm I'm the person doing this for the moment. Uh, we're looking at new ways of doing this. We just don't have it up and running yet. But here are some of the ways that you can connect with us. We are live right now on Twitter, on Facebook, on Periscope, on YouTube. You can catch us in podcasts on iTunes, on Spotify, on our iHeart Radio, excuse me, and Deezer. Still haven't figured out what that is, but we we are there. And we've got a big, big show for you today. I've got two guests who are going to be joining us. 
And um, we're going to have a little bit of fun here as well. Because if you're not having fun, what are you doing, right? That's what my dad always said. So I hope that you will be here and that you will write in your questions and your comments. I don't want you to forget that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, there our entire library of videos, over eight years of videos that we have done is there. You can see them all. You can stop them. You can rewind. You can search for other things. It's all free. You can hear my dog barking in the background. Um, and uh, I'll bet that uh, the big stars don't have to do this. <laughs> the dog in the other room. But in any case, it's real, right? Um, I hope that you will find resources for you during this time in the library of videos that we've done. But we're going to continue doing live shows. And we're thrilled asking you guys to tell us what do you really need to know about. One of the things that I'm I'm super excited about is on tomorrow's show, for those of you who are dealing with challenging behavior, I've got two of the best experts for you. I have Art Wilkie, who is the Assaultive Behavior Management Director at CARD, and I have Dr. Sienna Greener-Wooten. They're going to be coming here to talk with you about extreme challenging behavior. If your kids are hitting, kicking, you don't want to miss that show tomorrow. Big, big show tomorrow. Um, and then great things for the rest of the week. We'll talk about those. But I hope you'll join us here and participate and find what helps you to get through this. And if you don't see it, shout out, right? There's a chat at the bottom of the page on our homepage, autism-live.com. It's free. It's anonymous. You can shout out to me now. You can shout out anytime during the day or night. We'll be checking in daily to see what those things are. Send me story ideas of things that would help you. Uh, that's I'm very interested in doing that. Um, okay, so we are going to be live this entire hour interacting with you and with our guests. But there are a couple of things that we normally start the show with. And you know, one of our bits of advice that we've been giving you is keep the routine as normal as possible. So our routine on Mondays, first I tell you that the disclaimer that we have guests and experts on the show, but I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert in the field of autism. Clearly, I'm not an expert at cutting hair, right? <laughs> so um, I'm not even an expert in my own kid, let's say that. But I care very much about the journey that you're on. I want to help you. We serve the larger autism community here. That, of course, starts with individuals who are themselves on the autism spectrum. But it also extends out to everybody who cares about them, who is fighting to get them the resources and the respect and the employment, right? Uh, and the compensation that, that those individuals so richly deserve. So I hope that you will join me here to get what you can, uh, speak loudly uh, so that we know what else you were not getting for you yet, because we'll find a way. If at all possible, we'll find a way to bring it here. All right. Um, having said that, we like to do something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. Now, today's jargon is a term that we use a lot here on the show. And believe me, this is a term that is very much in play today in so many people's homes. It's FAPE. Now, I don't know about you, but my first day of autism, I had no idea what that was. I uh, didn't know what it meant. We're going to give you first the actual definition and then we're going to give you a working definition to help you to understand why this is something that we would be talking about. So our actual definition of FAPE, FAPE stands for Free 
appropriate public education. It's a term frequently referred to in IEPs. And um, that's, for any of you who are watching, who have a kiddo who has an IEP, an IEP stands for an Individualized Education Plan or Program, depends on the state that you're in. Um, So great, you know, as a parent, of an individual on the spectrum, your your uh, kiddo probably has an IEP and it entitles you to that free appropriate public education. And spoiler alert, it's the appropriate that's always the sticking point, right? Because we know what free means. We know what public means and we think we know what education means, right? So it's the appropriate that's always left up to interpretation. Uh, let me give you the working definition here. FAPE is what your child is legally entitled to in the United States in terms of education. Now, here's the really interesting, and this is why we're talking about this today, is that FAPE does not change when there is uh, a stay put. uh, Excuse me, let's not use that term because that means something different. uh, When we shelter in place or uh, here in California, when we have been asked to be safe at home, your child's rights don't go away, at least not today. Um, there is some new legislation that is on uh, being discussed right now that has the potential to make that go away. But in this moment in time, unless it's been signed already, and I don't know, uh, minute by minute, right, um, your child has the right to a free appropriate public education. And we're going to have special education attorney Bonnie Yates with us in just a little while talking about what it does mean, what the school does have to do when your special education student is forced to go home, uh, just like everybody else, and get that online instruction. What are you entitled to? And I think you're all going to be amazed when you hear how much you are entitled to. So, um, but that free appropriate public education is what we're all talking about, right? Okay, so uh, moving on, we always have a question for you. Let's see if I can find the right one here. Is it the question? Yes, it is. Our question today is, what has made you laugh this week? (sighs) Everybody take a breath, right? Because if you're not laughing, I mean, this is very serious business. Let's let's not kid ourselves, right? There's a lot that's going on in the world that we need to be very, very serious and diligent about. But you can be very serious and still find time to laugh and enjoy something that's funny. I was on a, a meeting the other day with a lot of professionals And we were waiting to start the meeting. We had like 30 seconds to start the meeting. And I don't remember who it was, but um, there was just like this uncomfortable quiet in this Zoom room, you know? And um, someone said, well, I guess, you know, it's time for knock-knock jokes. So uh, one by one, people started going around and telling ridiculous little kid knock-knock jokes. And this is a bunch of doctors and professionals and as it went on, everybody kind of got the teehees. And it was, I felt the break that we all needed, right? Um, but I have to tell you that this morning, um, even after I had written this, I my, my ritual is that I wake up in the morning and I go through a whole bunch of things on Facebook and I go through some of my emails from bed. I know it's not, it's not the right thing to do, but I, I like to just get a beat on what's happening in the day. 
And somebody had posted something on Facebook and said, well, this is, this is the laugh that we all need today. And I thought, oh, this is perfect for today. And it was a bunch of those autocorrects for, for your phone. Oh my gosh. And there are so many of them, but I started to laugh so loud that I woke my husband up. He thought that I was having a nightmare because I was trying so hard not to laugh. Um, but, and then I just laid there and giggled. And you know what? It started me off in the right space for today. So I urge you when you're doing your family fun, or as my friend Cecilia likes to call it, forced family fun every day. And I hope that you are. I hope that you're finding an opportunity every day to do that family fun. Maybe it's time to be silly. Maybe it's time to tell some jokes. Um, you know, do do what you have to do because it's important to laugh, y'all. Um, even me doing this, uh, <laughs> changing the slides, because this is more technologically than I know what to do. Uh, but we always have a topic of the week. And our topic of the week, of course, goes right along with everything that we're talking about here, keeping the wheels on. Look, I don't know how long this is going to last. And every day we hear a little bit different story about how long it might last. And, you know, when we started this, everybody thought it was going to be a week, two weeks, maybe three, maybe three and a half weeks. I don't think everybody thought it was going to be a month, but now people are talking about the fact that it easily could be. So we need to take on some strategies and okay, mine was to shave the back of my head. And I know that's not going to be everybody's strategy, but I think the point here is that it isn't one size fits all. You got to look at your house. You got to look at your life. You got to take some stock and say, what do I have in my plus column? What do I have working against me? How can I mitigate that? What do I need to do to make this work long term? And that might mean rearranging the furniture in your house. That might mean, I mean, I'm just going to go through some of the things that I've had to do so far. And that's that I, you know, I took a room in the house where typically my dog hangs out and I had to rearrange it to make a makeshift studio. And it's makeshift. I mean, you guys are looking at it. It's makeshift, <laughs> right? Um, but I also had to make it work in a way so that, you know, it's it's like a thoroughfare in, in my house. So I had to make it work for that. We've had to rearrange a little bit of furniture, and I encourage you to do what you have to do. We have had to rearrange things so that we have a place to exercise and I think that that is super important for all of us because we're, especially those of us who have kiddos at home, we have to model that behavior and, you know, we need to be doing this for ourselves. The reality is, is that a day is going to come when this is going to be over. It will. We've seen this again and again and again in history. There will come a time when this is over. And when it's over, we want to be in a better place than we are today, not a worse place, right? We want to be healthier. And this is an opportunity for all of us, myself included, who have been saying for the longest time, um, I, I, don't, I don't have time to work out. I'm so busy. I don't have time to work out. Well, all of our commute time has been given back to us, right? Um, and for some people, even more time on top of that. So we do have time to work out. You got to make the space for it. Make your space work and then work the space. We have to keep the wheels on. I say this to my husband like three and four times a day that, um, you know, if, if you have machines, you gotta run them. Like the dishwasher and the washing machine and the vacuum cleaner, run those machines, run them on a regular basis. Try to get everything back to 
some sort of a start point, if not every day, every other day, or at least once a week where it's like, okay, the wheels, because if we let it go, it goes south. You've already seen this. I know I have too. It's like, oh, today we just, we're not going to worry about picking up as much today. And then you go, oh, how did this get so out of control so fast? So keeping the wheels on, what does that mean for you? Because it's going to be different for everybody. For me, you know, in the summer, I usually cut my hair really short. And a lot of times they'll, I don't think they've ever buzzed it quite like I buzzed back. <laughs> but I've come close a couple of times. Um, but it's just easier to manage, right? And if I'm going to be getting up every morning working out and being here with you on the show, I really just, I get a Brillo pad in the back. So I, I was like, you know what? I just got to make, I got to simplify. I got to make things easier. So what do you need to do? Probably nothing as drastic as shaving the back of your head, but what do you need to do? You know, do you need to move a piece of furniture one place or the other? Do you need to clean out a cabinet? Do you need to uh, make room for your office supplies? What do you need to do? And I'm giving you permission, not that you needed it, but giving you permission to make that happen. We know that this is not going to be over on Thursday. So rearrange, keep the wheels on and we forge ahead, right? Uh, okay, so we've got a big show for you today. Tremendous guests. We're going to start the show off today with uh, the amazing Bonnie Yates. She's a special education attorney. She's going to be talking with us today about what our kiddos' rights are. And then we've got, for the first time on the show, Dr. Teresa Lyons. She's an international autism educator and an Ivy League scientist. She is going to be with us to tell us a little bit about her story. And we're going to talk a little bit about a new book that she has coming out. It's called The Lions Report 2020, Autism and Functional Medicine Doctors. Ooh, now I've got your attention, right? So if you don't know what functional medicine is, you're going to want to make sure that you tune in to see Dr. Teresa Lyons and um, hear what she has to say. But I want to remind you, I'm going to get Bonnie on the phone and we're not going to commercials. We're commercial free now. I know some of you have been asking for that and your wish is my command. We're going to get Bonnie on the phone. And uh, while I'm doing that, I want you guys to take a look at, again, all the different ways that you can connect with us. Um, and I, of course, am not able to do two things at the same time. I can't walk, talk, and chew gum. And I need to take a drink. And we're, we're calling Bonnie right now. Bonnie? Hi, Shannon. Hey, you're live on Autism Live. How are you? I'm good. Um, should I get on Skype? Actually, no, we're just going to be on the phone today. And I have a lovely, okay. I have a lovely graphic of you that I'm going to put up here. Um, okay. And Bonnie, we're super, because I'm doing this from home today. Um, by next week, we should have a really wonderful um, way to be able to, wait, I've got a picture of you here. I'm going to get it. It's going to happen. There it is. Um, by next week, we should have a picture of you. We're working on it and we just don't have it quite where we needed it this morning. Uh, okay. But Bonnie, thrilled that you're here. You are a special education attorney. And tell us a little bit about uh, Tolner Law Firm that you work uh, with. Okay, well, here's something about Tolner Law Firm. Uh, I don't usually give our phone number on the show, so let me give that. It's 408-286-3081. 
and the website is www.specialeducationcouncilcounsel.com. Um, I think the thing I want to tell people is that we are um, a law firm based in Northern and Southern California, and we are very much at work. We are not stopping our ordinary activities because of this uh, health crisis, because we feel that we can accomplish quite a lot by telephone and uh, via email and via Zoom. So um, what I want to tell you generally, and then I'll give the disclaimer for specific cases, is I think there's two piles. The pile used to be like the people that sort of had access to justice because they understood what their legal rights were and they worked with attorneys and advocates and the people just who didn't know better than to just sort of take what they were told at face value. I'm finding that even though the districts are writing and saying things may not occur on the date that they were planned for, like IEP meetings or releases of records or um, mediation dates, whatever it is, that if you take the position that you're not waiving any legal right that you have under the IDEA, the federal statute or California state law, that you're not waiving any statutory right and you're still going to press to have your IEP meeting occur or your records be released or your mediation uh, scheduled, that the districts are taking a more serious look at those cases. And we are anticipating a very large backlog in the spring or whenever it is that the districts are able to operate more normally again. And we're really suggesting that you do the things that you can do to make sure that your requests for your child um, get acknowledged and get um, acted upon. So um, as far as, as, as my personal attorney disclaimer goes, we're, we're going to be talking today about a subject that I think is of great general interest, but if you have a specific question about your specific case, I would urge you to get specific legal advice from an attorney. And we um, tell you all the time that you can go to copa.net, C-O-P-A-A.net, and you can have access to attorneys in the 50 states that are affiliated with that group. Um, if you're in California and you need help, our office is available to help you in Northern or Southern California. So you can give us a call or you can fill in the, the form on the website. Anyway, um, what we were supposed to be talking about today was Andrew F. So, um, Shannon, are you still there? I am very much still here. Okay. Um, okay. So before we talk about Andrew F., here's what I want to say. IDEA is a federal program. California has its own set of laws that it developed to participate. Um, California um, guidance that we've gotten so far is that the guidelines are relaxed um, as far as uh, the timing of assessments, IEPs, and so on. But as I said, the IDEA hasn't been changed in any way. And so we're continuing to, to tell people that on their behalf, we're going to press forward so that we can address their issues as they come up. 
We're also trying to come up with a plan for what people can do to get substitute services if their school districts are not um, able to provide uh, some of the services that they had at school. I'll be telling you more about that. I'll either send Shannon some emails this week or next week. We can talk about it on the show. But here in California, we're definitely looking to regional center to come in and help us with um, kids that are at home for um, the foreseeable future with no intervention. So just know that's something we're working on, but we're not there yet. But Bonnie, if I can ask a question in a general nature, everybody, the, the question that everybody has been asking is what are, even in this relaxed, I mean, we all want to be, um, what's the word that I want? We, we all Proactive. Are, well, we want to be aware of the fact, we don't want to be idiots, right? We get it that there, something is happening that nobody's ever written the rule book for before. And we all want to be cognizant of the fact that our schools have challenges, but that doesn't change the fact that our kiddos need uh, a free appropriate public education. And so what should, if somebody is home with their child and they're, you know, they're told this is what we have, which is the online learning, which is one size fits all, what's the first step for them? Do they, do they go on COPA and find an attorney or do they just call the school and say, you're going to have to help me here. I do still have rights. My child still has rights. What do you, what do you think the first step is? Well, I think those are good steps, and I think the thing to know is that the districts have been given a lot of discretion. I don't know that every district is going to elect to just stop and not do anything, because if they do that, they're going to really, really be treading water when everything gets, um, you know, restarted again. Um, I think you have to press them and, and say that you understand that this is discretionary on, on their part, but that they need to use their discretion in favor of erring on the side of, of providing services for this child because this child will regress promptly. And I think that's the best you can do is bug them. Ask them what they're doing. Ask them when, when you expect, when you can expect to hear back from them. Um, you know, ask them what other options are being used instead. And so I think, yeah, the, the real problem is if distance learning doesn't work for people uh, right now, we may be kind of stuck. Yeah, well, Please. and, uh, you know, it may be that distance, distance learning might have worked if there was an aid there to help. And there's, a, you know, it's in the IEP that there's an aid, but school is like, hmm we can't send the aid to your house. So I think a lot of people feel up a tree right now, um, but but it's definitely something they should have a conversation about, correct? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Right. And you just say, hey, listen, this is my particular child's particular circumstances. Yeah. What, what can you help? There we go. What can you help me do? So uh, Andrew F. actually bookends rather nicely with this discussion. People have heard about Andrew F. probably from time to time on the program and in life. Uh, we're going to dissect it a little bit today. And then, you know, if you guys do have specific questions, you know, or if you're really concerned and you need help this week, um, I would tell you, call Tolner Law Offices. We've got eight attorneys. We're concerned about what's happening with your, your family. Um, let us know and, you know, we want to find a way to help. So 
Um, but Bonnie, to, remind us just that what the context, why is Andrew F. important to us? Okay. Andrew, E-W-F, is important to us because it revisited the standard for what constitutes a free, appropriate public education. And that was a standard that was articulated in, in uh, Rowley. So the, the Rowley Board of Education versus Rowley okay. was decided in 1982. Okay. So 35-plus years ago, Rowley basically said the IEP must be reasonably calculated to enable a child to receive educational benefit. And we have been trying to figure out ever since what that meant. So this case, which was decided by the Supreme Court in March of 2017, purported to revisit that standard. Now, there's some stuff I want to say about this that's important for people to understand. Amy Rowley was a uh, public school student who had normal cognition and was, um, was hard of hearing. So she needed to have um, accommodations in her classroom so that she could be in general ed and access the curriculum. So Amy Rowley was somebody who, relative to some students, could do very well in a general ed setting, and if she had the right supports, she could get passing grades and advance uh, from year to year like all other children or most other children in a general ed setting. So in Rowley, at the time that it was decided in 1982, uh, she wanted to have a speech and language interpreter uh, signing for her in the classroom. And the question was whether or not she needed that. And that's the context in which the standard was decided. And as you can see, it was a reasonableness standard. The IEP had to be reasonably calculated to enable the child to receive educational benefit. It wasn't a so-called equal opportunity or maximization standard. And so to some extent, the plaintiff that was setting the standard for what the idea must provide was a very high-functioning person. And so you get into questions about how that standard should be applied in the case of a person with autism like Andrew F. So Andrew F. was a fourth grader. I believe at at the time of the um, at the time that the matter um, arose, um, who had a diagnosis of autism. Uh, one of the things about Rowley was there. You can see it's a pretty amorphous standard, and you can see how I could argue it one way, and a school district could argue it another way, and so. The, the court in Rowley did not give a specific test. So Andrew F. was a fourth grader, and until fourth grade, he'd made decent progress in school, but his progress stalled in fourth grade. And for fifth grade, 
the district proposed a similar IEP to the one that had not produced progress in fourth grade. And one of the things about his IEP was that the district proposed incorporating all of the same old goals for fifth grade that hadn't really got him to move for fourth grade. So the parents removed him to a private school. And in that context, he made significant progress. So um, one of the things I want to say that's important, although it's a slightly different topic, is you have to show that you aren't making progress in public school, that the public school program is not appropriate. It's not enough to go to a different school and say, I'm doing well here. You have to show that you you were being denied a FAPE. In other words, your, your IEP wasn't re reasonably calculated to enable the, the child to receive educational benefit, which was the old standard. And you have to show that in the private make better progress. So the Tenth Circuit, which is not California, um, was the circuit that got involved in this case. Parents removed him. They sought private tuition reimbursement. They lost at the administrative level. It it went to the Tenth Circuit, and the Tenth Circuit affirmed the decision, saying Rowley holds that the child's IEP is adequate as long as it is calculated to confer an educational benefit that is merely more than de minimis progress. So in, in conclusion, they said Andrew's IEP had been reasonably calculated to enable him to make some progress, and that was good enough. Now, it's no coincidence that this, that this case was being decided by a circuit um, that has a less favorable standard. This was a Texas case. And so the holding was to meet its, its substantive obligation under the IDEA, a school district must offer an IEP that's reasonably calculated to enable a child to make progress appropriate to, um, in light of the child's circumstances. I'm sorry. What I should have said is the Tenth Circuit decided the case and then because there was a conflict between the Tenth Circuit and other circuits, that's a situation in which the Supreme Court may exercise its jurisdiction because it wants it to, it wants it, some of its uh, functions uh, as a court include making sure that there's not a conflict between circuits, which would result in an unfair, um, you know, disparity in standards. So the Supreme Court revisited what the Tenth Circuit had done, and they they issued this uh, decision. And for the first time, we have this language that the IEP must be reasonably calculated to enable a child to make progress appropriate in light of the child's circumstances. So I'm going to stop talking for a second, see if you have any questions, Shannon. Uh, well, thank you, because I do, of course. Um, so this is the thing that we've been talking about on the show for a year and a half, two years now, is this whole idea of what is de minimis. And, you know, it's like we keep moving uh, the goalpost a little bit further away, but it still seems a little squishy to me, Bonnie, is it? Because... Now, it's very squishy. Now an it's educational very benefit appropriate for the child. I mean, that's better than de minimis. We, we no longer, because it really looked like, especially, I'm just going to call it out, 
we have uh, a secretary of education right now who doesn't, who has demonstrated that maybe special education is not her thing. Um, and, and so, you know, having that de minimis uh, decision was really helpful, I think. But but are we that much further is my question in saying that it's got to be an edu educational benefit appropriate to the child because that still feels like we're in that appropriate conversation. Nobody's really defined it, right? Well, what parents wanted was um, something that said that the districts had to maximize. They call it equal opportunity, but I think it means maximize you know, that you should do everything you possibly can that would give the child the opportunity to make progress in light of their particular circumstances. I think what's happened is in every single case you have to go through and you have to argue about why it is that what the district is offering is, is only de minimis and it is not appropriately ambitious. I'm gonna send you um, an article that a colleague of, of mine wrote, Julie Waterstone, she's at um, USC Law School, and her article is entitled Symbolism Versus Reality. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but that's okay, I don't mind um, going out of order. We can come back to some of the other discussion. But she says, Given that the holding of Andrew F. states that the educational program must be appropriately ambitious in light of the child's circumstances, perhaps the best tool that parents can use at an IEP meeting to achieve the needed program or services is heavy reliance on the particular circumstances of the child. This means that parents need to be prepared to demonstrate how the child's needs warrant whatever they are seeking. Parents need to be well-versed in the facts, facts of the child's disability, facts of the program or service, and facts of how the child will benefit from that program or service. Parents need to be well-versed in their disability, including how the needs present in their child, perhaps even getting a pediatrician or general practitioner to weigh in if necessary. Well, I don't know why she said that. I would have said um, an educational expert, but I think the idea is the same. Um, and parents should be armed with the great language contained in the opinion, which repeatedly highlights the need to focus on the individual. The court plainly states, for example, that this standard is a general standard, not a formula. The court further acknowledged that it will not attempt to elaborate on what appropriate progress will look like from case to case. Uh, the language in the opinion will also be important to highlight the significance of parental voice and involvement, which is something that the court talked about uh, in um, Andrew F. While the court certainly talked about deference being accorded to school district personnel, the court unequivoc unequivocally discussed the importance of the IEP process as being collaborative Parents should utilize both the language in the IDEA and Andrew F. to ensure that they are heard. If parents are being told that the school district makes the final decision, parents need to ensure that the school district has provided a cogent and responsive explanation for its decision, which is prior written notice, essentially. If parents are not satisfied with the response, they always have the option to provide, to pursue due process. Um, 
one more thing, she says. Whether this decision will be a game changer or business as usual may depend upon your view of the previous standard. Undoubtedly, those residing in the Tenth Circuit will certainly feel its impact because the Tenth Circuit was a conservative circuit and they were arguing for a low standard. Regardless of the jurisdiction in which a child resides, the hope post-Andrew is that in every IEP meeting, the team will be more thoughtful about designing a program that is truly appropriate given the child's individual unique circumstances. Perhaps most significant is that the guidance cannot be construed just for children who can be mainstreamed but for all children across the spectrum, regardless of how severe their needs may be. So. It's a lot. um, But what I clearly hear is that really we have to be more vigilant than ever because we have the potential to be able to argue things. But what I clearly heard was parents need to have their ducks in a row. You need to be able to go in and argue what your child's disability is and the fact that they, you know, even though they have the disability, that they can make progress. Yes. Well, parents have always needed to have their ducks in a row. So that's nothing new because parents have the burden of proof and you're essentially trying to convince the district that the status quo isn't appropriate. The thing about Andrew F. is that it does say, you know, that for for children that are mainstreamed and are capable of making progress more or less like their typical peers that the you know that the standard would be uh, you know annual achievement matriculating from grade to grade um, for students like Andrew F whose disability is is more um, limiting the court essentially said, Reasonably calculated means a recognition that crafting an appropriate program of education requires a prospective judgment by school officials informed by their own expertise and views of parents. Any review of an IEP must appreciate the question is whether the IEP is reasonable, not whether courts regard it as ideal. An IEP must aim to enable a child to make progress The essential function of an IEP is to set out a plan for pursuing academic and functional advancement. Um, And the um, degree of progress contemplated by the IEP must be appropriate in light of the child's circumstances. So you need to read Rowley and Andrew F., which I will supply you with, And you need to start arguing at your IEP that Andrew F. did result in a change in expectation. And you need to be prepared to show why the district's proposed program is not reasonably calculated for the child to to make progress appropriate to the, you know, to the child's unique circumstances. In, In terms of what we do with this, Shannon, we start talking about it. We go into our IEP meeting and say, you're not offering a program that's appropriately ambitious in line with Andrew F. And that then becomes your your issue on appeal. There's our argument. So, Unfortunately, Bonnie, that's all we have time for today because uh, we're live and we're on a tight schedule. Uh, but can we pick this up next week? Yes. Okay, and then um, as more information becomes available about what what parents are doing and what school districts are doing, 
We're really going to be looking to you to help us uh, through this difficult time. Yeah, and I, I, I understand that, and I will do all that I can. Thank you so much. Um, and Bonnie, let's let's leave you by telling us uh, a little bit about how we can get a hold of you and Tolner Law Offices. If you have a pressing question and you want to talk to an attorney, why don't you give me a call, 310-245-1968. I want to try to help people out. This is a tough time. Yeah. Um, and But Bonnie, that's really for only people in Southern California or? It's for North, no, it's Northern and Southern California. And if you're outside the state, um, go to COPA. I'll provide you um, actually with a COPA person, uh, email address for a COPA person that people can reach out to. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for being here. No problem, Shannon. Talk okay. to you next week. Bye-bye. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Um, so our next, and I, we, we have to just buzz on ahead because we're running a little bit uh, behind, but our next guest is Dr. Teresa Lyons. She is um, so many things, uh, <laughs> just out of whirlwind here. She's an international autism educator, and she is also an Ivy League scientist. Uh, she is the author of the new book, The Lyons Report 2020. It, uh, the subtitle is Autism and Functional Medicine. So I'm going to remind you guys of the ways that you can get in contact with us while I get her on the phone. And you can. I'm going to keep the mic hot here, which is a bad idea, but we're going to do it anyway. Because <laughs> I'm all about the bad ideas today. Have you noticed that? Uh, but look at all the ways you can get in touch with us. That You can pose a question. I know that we've got some questions that people have written in, and I'm going to try to get to those. In fact, we might have to stay a little bit late. Um, but while I am getting uh, Dr. Lyons on the phone, I want to read some of those to you. Want to say hello? Hello, hi. Is this Dr. Lyons? Yes, this Dr. is Dr. Lyons. We're live with you. This is Shannon Penrod. You're live on Autism Live. Hi, Shannon. Hello, everyone. Hello. And so hang on a second here, and I'm going to get us back to a place where we can be. Uh, but Dr. Lyons, I was just telling them that your credentials, you're an international autism educator and an Ivy League scientist, um, and you are the author of a new book, The Lyons Report 2020, Autism and Functional Medicine Doctors. So I want to start, first of all, welcome to the show, but I want to start and have you talk with us a little bit about why autism is of such interest to you. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on the show. And I actually, this will answer that question and tell you a little bit more. I watch Autism Live and I did so a lot when my daughter was first diagnosed with autism. So it's very surreal to be on this program that I used to watch. How <laughs> exciting to have you here. What a lovely, lovely thing. And so you referenced that your daughter was diagnosed. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So my daughter was diagnosed when she was three and a half years old. Um, I do have a PhD in chemistry from Yale University. I worked in healthcare. So kind of from the beginning of the of her development, I just felt there was this, this intuition, this, you know, that something wasn't just right. And she was developing in certain areas, but not in others. And 
you know, people and different doctors and other parents told me, oh, you know, every child is different. But, you know, it's that gut feeling that something just wasn't right. And and so I'm I'm curious for you and all the things that you know, um, you know, we all have that beginning, that that kickoff of when our child is diagnosed and the first steps that we take. But I'm I'm terribly interested to know what your first steps are. I'm wondering if they're similar to the rest of us. Sure. Well, they're similar in the sense of information is is the best way to start. Um, it's just that I have academic credentials, so all of those research articles that cost $80 to look at for each one, um, I can and did look at all of them. So I still had my academic credentials. So my information gathering is just a bit different than most parents. So I would also then reach out to the different scientists who published the publications, um, and we were talking a very scientific way. So I left that role of being a mom aside when I was interacting with researchers, with doctors. So when I would have a, an appointment with a doctor, it I went in there as Dr. Lyons, not as, you know, mom. And um, it just allowed me to access different information that um, many people wouldn't have because it takes so long for information to trickle down. So that's that's really how my first steps are are different, just because of my academic background and the fact that I worked in healthcare. I worked in healthcare both in R and D as also as a strategist. Well, I'm wondering though. I think so many of us as moms go in to have a conversation with a doctor. Even for me, um, interviewing people uh, in terms of this show, I feel like often there is this. I, stigma, I don't know, where if I'm the mom, then the automatic presumption is that I may not know what I'm talking about and that I I don't, that I'm not educated about the things that perhaps I am educated about. Did you find that not only, you know, going in and speaking as a doctor and leaving the mom thing behind, did you feel like people listened to you a little bit more? Well, or were they just freer to answer your questions? No, they, <laughs> so I mean, I would prepare an agenda. I would send it to them the day before. This is all things that I do with my clients now. But so the doctors knew that I was coming. So mm -hmm. I'd never surprised a doctor with a difficult question. Mm -hmm. I always gave them time to really think about it so that when they had that appointment with us, they brought their best thoughts, their best ideas. Um, so many times parents are more well-read on a certain subject, especially if you're going to see a general pediatrician, it's really hard for a general pediatrician to stay up to date on all of the different therapeutic areas that their patients are involved in. So when it, when it comes to asking those really important questions that you feel like you almost know more than the doctor, give the doctor time to even then research it themselves so that they can prepare a really good answer for you. That's what I found works the best, regardless of my background or not. Well, that's great advice. But I think what what everybody is probably wanting to know and what I want to know is, so you were in all these places, you did all this research, what'd you find out? And, and how does this uh, go along with, because your book, it's about functional medicine doctors. So I'm presuming you found something out about functional medicine. Yes, for sure. So there, 
is this like, especially a few years ago, there was this whispering. Now it's much louder. But there was this whispering of, you know, your child doesn't have to have symptoms all throughout your life. And um, they can get better. And, you know, I would read a book or two from parents who had completely healed their children. And their children are entirely different and able to have careers and friends and, and everything we want our children to do. So it really became, how did they get that? And how can I get that? And that's where that, that blending of quality information as well as partnerships came together. And functional medicine is something that was very common in children who um, had that great turnaround where things were much different for them. So I started understanding what functional medicine was, who are the good practitioners, um, where are these practitioners learning, who are they studying with. Um, I've interviewed many of them. And then as I started to build a business, many of my clients, that would be their first thing where it was like, how can I get a good doctor? And so I just naturally had this Rolodex of great functional medicine doctors who had great experience with autism and they want to work with children with autism. That's a big difference when you're with a doctor who is just on board and believes in your child as much, sometimes even more than you do, oh my goodness, the, the partnership that can happen. That's when a doctor doesn't question your ideas, when you're in that partnership and you're working with someone who's knowledgeable and interested and, and doesn't have any of those limiting beliefs as to what health really is. So that it's about functional medicine, why anyone with autism really should explore functional medicine. And then it lists the functional medicine doctors who are really good in the United States with autism. There's over 70 of them. And so you cut out for just a second there, but I think what you were saying is that this is the information that's in the book. That even, because I was going to say, where do we find the list of the doctors? That's, <laughs> that's also in the book, correct? It's in the book, yes. So the book explains why functional medicine is important, how it's different than conventional medicine, and actually why you would want both. I'm an advocate of using all the possible tools that a child could use. Well, so having a conventional medicine doctor and a functional medicine doctor is really the way to go. For people who've never even heard of a functional medicine doctor, never explored that before. Is there, can you give us an example of one thing that maybe you did with your daughter that you found like really helped her that was more functional medicine and not conventional medicine? Sure. I can give an example. It's a, a universal example. Um, most, most autism parents really resonate with this. So if your child's not sleeping, you go to a doctor and they say, well, you know, you can try melatonin. It seems to work for a lot of people and um, just give that a try, right? And you try it and most times it goes well. And then after a few weeks, it doesn't go so well anymore, right? Because it wasn't a solution to the problem. It was just this kind of temporary patch. You got a few good weeks of sleep and then you're back at baseline. With functional medicine, the doctor will say, all right, what is really causing this lack of sleep? Is it low magnesium? Is it a gut infection? Is it neurotransmitter imbalances? What is it? Let's figure that out so that for the long term, this child can sleep. And then they'll also say, you know what? In the meantime, if you want to try, we can look at, depending upon what the problem is, a few supplements or so. So they give you that short-term fix and also 
they want that long-term solutions that the child can sleep for the rest of their lives. That's yeah. the difference of functional medicine. And I think a lot, a lot of people just went, oh, I really <laughs> want this. Because, uh, you know, uh, when, when the show House was on for so long, I remember so many people going, why aren't all doctors like House? <laughs> where they're looking for the underlying thing. Why are they all trying to slap a Band-Aid on it? Why isn't somebody trying to figure out what's causing that? Uh, which is very interesting. Um, but you, you touched on briefly, I know that forming partnerships for care is really important to you. Um, and you touched on it briefly. Is, is there uh, stuff in the book about how you form that partnership with your functional medicine doctor and maybe with your convention? Cause I think a lot of us just don't even know how to bridge that. Yeah. So it, it, when you're working with someone, that's what a functional medicine doctor is really looking for. They want to work with the patients who really want to figure things out. They're dedicated to change. So just by having a functional medicine doctor, you're starting off with someone who's looking for that partnership. Functional medicine appointments with a doctor, the shortest appointments are usually 30 minutes. That's a short appointment. Okay. <laughs> so it's very different than conventional medicine where on average it's like you get seven minutes to, to speak with the doctor at yeah. most. Um, so it's the book does touch upon partnership and how to um, how to approach that with the doctor, but also why it's important to look for just because it it works so synergistically. So if you have a functional medicine doctor who can help with supplements and different prescriptions for something if it's needed, but they're also interested in diet as well as, you know, how the child's being educated and looking at things differently. Um, that's where that power of partnership comes from, that synergy of, of leveraging everything together. Well, I think we all are looking for that. How do we, What I know that you're, uh, well, when is the book available? Let's start there. The book is available now. Okay. So it came out in March. It's on Amazon. Um, you can buy the paperback version or the electronic version. And you could also go to thelionsreport.com if you want to get more information about me. And um, my name, the last name is L-Y-O-N-S. Okay. So thelionsreport.com. Okay. So, and the book is The Lions Report 2020, Autism and Functional Medicine Doctors. But give Correct. us, spell out your whole website for us again. Sure. My whole, the website is thelionsreport.com. So T-H-E-L-Y-O-N-S-R-E-P-O-R-T.com. Dr. Lyons, thank you so much for being with us and for being patient with us because I know we were running a little bit late, but uh, we're excited to have you on here. And I did not know that you were somebody who watched the show, so that's especially yes. exciting. <laughs> it is. I feel it's very surreal talking to you. <laughs> well, it's it, it's like that for me too. So uh, now we're lifelong friends. So thank you awesome. so much for being here with us. And then we'll look forward to having you back on again. When, when things are not so weird and we'll be able to see you and talk to you and yes definitely <laughs> maybe time, even there'll time. be a time when we can have you in the studio and uh -huh. <laughs> wouldn't that be exciting that uh, would. In, in a different era we'll we'll make yes. that happen uh well thank you so much for being with us and uh we'll look forward to people getting your book the lions report and lions is spelled l-y-o-n-s report 2020 autism and functional medicine doctors 
Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Uh, Bye. And so that was Dr. Lyons. I've got so much that I want to cover here in just a couple of minutes, and I do want to stay a little bit late here. Um, Lori uh, from the D says, good afternoon. I was wondering if you could recommend an app for a three-year-old nonverbal child to help him communicate. And there are so many different apps um, that can, um, you know, and, and they range in price. I will say that I think our favorite uh, among the, the experts that I spend most time with is uh, Proloquo 2. But that is probably one of the most expensive ones. And, and so I do want to caution you about that. There are many texts to chat um, that, uh, that you can download. Some of them are free. And, and I would say if money is an issue, you could try a couple out to see what works well for you and works well for them. If money is not an issue, you have a little bit of money or you can ask your insurance company for it, I would go right to Proloquo too. They don't pay us anything to sponsor. It is just the most user-friendly, but it is the most expensive, just keeping it real. Uh, saying hi to Karen. And uh, Lori says, thank you for all the great information that you give to us. Uh, I, great, It's greatly appreciated. I'm still buying things off your Christmas list. And why not? They're good toys. Um, and she says that her uh, child really loved Clack, that it was a big hit. Didn't you love? Clack is a really uh, cool game. Uh, and if you haven't already seen our toy guide, uh, be like Lori. Go, go on our website, autism-live.com. The toy guide is at the top and you can see this year's toy guide there. If you want to see the last two years, go on the blog. The blog currently is broken. I can't upload anything else to it, but the last, um, the blogs that are there are already there and we have the last two years of toy guides and they're, you know, toys are good no matter which year. Uh, okay. And, um, Oh, and Jessie said she couldn't wait for the law segment. Uh, the local school districts are not giving us any guidance. Will idea be suspended for this period of time? And I think none of us knows, you know. Um, COPA put out a, uh, a statement earlier this week that there was some language put into the stimulus package for the COVID-19 stimulus package um, that was being debated. And we were all being asked to write to our senators. You can uh, go to copa.net, C-O-P-A-A.net to see more about that, but nobody knows what's going to happen. But right now, uh, at, at, when we started the show, IDEA was still in place. So uh, I just wanna look very briefly to see if there are other comments. I know that we're a little bit past time. You know what, my computer's not gonna let me. It's being, it's being salty, my computer. Uh, as it is. Now we are getting this under control and finding the different ways that this works. And we've got a way that's going to be a little bit more visually stimulating. We are going to get our guests back so that you can see them. Um, and we are working on that. But I just want to take a second and thank you guys for being with us and hanging in and, and checking out the back of my shaved head. Tomorrow on the show, this is serious business. Um, Art Wilkie is going to be here with us talking about assaultive behavior management along with Dr. Sienna Greener Wooten. If you have a kiddo with challenging behavior, if you are being hit, tomorrow is the show that is not to be missed. Even if you can't watch us at the time that we're live, make sure that you catch it in podcast, right? On Wednesday, uh, we are having uh, either Dr. Doreen Crampichet answer questions live or uh, Evelyn 
Uh, Kung, the clinical director of CARD, will be here answering questions. I don't know which one. On Thursday, we have a pediatric neurologist who's going to talk about some of the effects that COVID have had on our kids. And on Friday, we have licensed marriage and family therapist, Vince Redmond, who's going to be joining us along with Leah Hirschfeld from the research department of CARD with some new research for us. So that's going to shape up our week, but we're looking forward. We're booking shows and we're even talking about adding an extra hour a day. So we'd love to hear from you guys. What would you want more information about? When would you want it? How would you want it? Write to me. You can always get me at s.com. Penrod at autism-live.com. S.penrod at autism-live.com. I thank you for being here with us and staying a little bit later. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. And if you are a card parent, make sure that you're tuning in at four o'clock this afternoon to our live PTA webinar. Uh, but to everyone, I'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. No, really, I'm going to go. I just don't know how to get off. <laughs> I'm going to show you the websites. Take a look.